Hello and welcome to More Than Politics, a podcast for those of us who want something more than what we've come to expect from politics and from our political discourse. My name is Julie Varner Walsh. I'm your host. On today's episode, I'm talking with singer-songwriter Kevin Heider. Kevin, who lives with his wife and four children in Dayton, Ohio, writes hymns, drinking songs, and everything in between. He has recently released an EP called Make an Honest Stand. A collection of six beautiful songs, Make an Honest Stand, is, I think, perfect for this moment of political discord and cultural upheaval. With lyrics that wrestle with our nation's history and with the concepts of freedom, patriotism, and justice, and which deal, too, with anger, cynicism, and the pitfalls of social media, Make an Honest Stand offers a powerful, yet loving, criticism of our country, our politics, and our own flawed selves. I view these songs as protest songs of a sort. They are protests, perhaps, against antipathy. Honest and peaceful, challenging and probing, Make an Honest Stand is an invitation to reckoning, or as Kevin calls it in our conversation, an examination of our collective conscience. Our conversation is long, a full two hours, but it is all of a piece, and I couldn't in good conscience split it into two episodes. It deserves to remain whole. So maybe it can keep you company here in the next week as you prepare your kitchen, your home, your family for Thanksgiving. Maybe it, and the songs we discuss in it, can give you something to think about as we approach this national holiday. Maybe it can help you to consider our place in the history of this country, what parts of it we should be thankful for, and what parts of it we should work to correct. Our conversation was recorded on November 4th. All right. Hello, Kevin. How are you, Julie? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Good. So today we have Kevin Heider on the podcast, and I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, Kevin is a musician, and he has just released an EP with a collection of six songs that I'm not sure how you would characterize them, but... They are somewhat political in nature or um, talking about problems in our politics today, in our society. And I, I was just kind of thrilled to get my hands on it because I have just a little bit of a music background myself and I'm a huge politics buff. And I also am so interested in, you know, the concepts of morality and faith and such, which also come into your music. So to like put all three together, I was so excited. (laughs) So I'm so excited to talk to you today. And I was hoping you could just start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your music. Yeah. um, My name is Kevin Heider. I was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio, and I live there again now uh, with my wife. We have four kids. The oldest is five and a half. And um, I, I, I'm a singer-songwriter. Is is when people ask what I do, that's usually the fir- the first thing that I say. Even if in any given month or year, that's not where the majority of my income comes from. That's how I identify is as a mm-hmm. as a singer-songwriter and a, a storyteller. And um, yeah, I, I've just always been. 
I guess for me, it's like a, maybe a form of journaling. I don't really say that very often about it, but it, 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 the process of writing a song helps me formulate and articulate uh, thoughts that I have on, on, honestly, on anything that just kind of, you know, initially forms or gets bottled up. And then over time, something uh, inclines me, moves me to kind of flesh it out and give it, give form to the substance. And um, yeah, so I I write about anything and everything. I think think the simplest way to explain uh, explain or summarize my music on the whole because singer-songwriter is a very ambiguous genre. It can be anything as long as you write the songs and you sing them. Um, but uh, the, the best way I can sum it up is that I write hymns and drinking songs and every- <laughs> and everything in between. And by that, I mean I've written like one hymn and three or four drinking songs and then a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Everything else is in between. I love it. I love it. And when you said, you know, writing a song is like journaling to you. Um, So I've I've been writing for a while. And for me, I sometimes I feel like when I sit down to the computer, like that's can be kind of when I figure out exactly how I'm feeling about something. Like I have to type it out. I've got to sort of generate the words to sort it all out. Like if I set it in front of me, I can understand it better, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my experience for sure. Um, it's funny that you kind of prefaced this by referring to the songs as political uh, on the new EP. Um, I, I don't object to that. Um, I've just been, I think something I've realized very recently is that for a long time I've used the word political. Um, mm. when what I should have been saying was partisan, mm-hmm. you know, like I think a lot of people use that interchangeably. So I will agree with you. These songs are political. As far as I'm concerned, they are not partisan. Um, right. I am, right, right, I am right, right. not interested in the partisan. If anything, I, they're, they're either bipartisan and, or they are anti-partisan. <laughs> right. Well, it's so. funny because when I first heard them, my first inclination was to say, well, these are protest songs. Yeah. And then I was trying to think, well, if they're protest songs, what are they protesting? Because it's not as simple to put your finger on it. Um, and to me, I felt like they're sort of protesting antipathy, like protesting people sort of like, staying inside themselves and not um, engaging with what's going on. You know, to me, right. they seem like an invitation to reckoning. Yeah. And that just kind of thrilled me. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'd say like kind of like a, a healthy disillusionment that doesn't. A healthy disillusionment. There you know, you go. <laughs> like that, that doesn't result in disengagement. Um, right. And it doesn't, it doesn't results in violent radicalization, but it just kind of is this awakening of consciousness, (laughs) I guess. Right, right, right. Yeah, I was also thinking, you know, when I think of protest songs, I think of like um, music that is encouraging people to fight against a thing, like a um, a concept or an injustice that is... um, I don't know, when you think about like the Vietnam War or something, you know, something that's a little bit easier to grasp. But I feel like in your songs, it's not so much 
a protest against this exterior thing as it is like an interior struggle. Like instead of necessarily placing all the blame elsewhere and fighting against it, it's like an invitation to do some interior work and um, struggle within yourself and not just within a whole system. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 that's, it's, see, it's funny for me to hear how other people articulate sure, it. The, yeah. the simplest way that I would do it is is the EP kind of plays as this examination of our collective consciousness, yeah. which I, th- oh, sorry, of our collective conscience, yeah. um, which I think is what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I love the way you put that. Um, I also think that your songs, I mean, yes, they are protesting and yes, they're political. Um, but in a sense, I also feel like they are patriotic in the way uh, they wrestle with patriotism. Yeah. Like I've been thinking a lot about patriotism in my own life because I was raised in a very, um, patriotic setting and we'll get to this in a minute with, yeah. um, with one of your songs in particular, but, um, you know, to always respect the flag and, you know, to really, honor the idea of the country and the ideals of the country. And in the past several years, I've really been wrestling with that, not because I feel unpatriotic, but rather because I feel patriotic to a set of ideas and a set of values. And I feel perfectly patriotic to that, perfectly loyal to that, but I'm loyal to that and not to like a cheaper idea of what our country is, you know? Sure. And so, you know, we are not a country that has like gradually evolved over thousands of years of people being in the same place. That's not who we are. We are a collection of peoples from all over the world. We are not bound together by a common ancestry or even culture. Um, We're bound by a set of ideas. And if our country is a set of ideas, values, of principles, then we do our country a disservice by treating it like something else. And so I feel like I have been struggling with patriotism, but not, not in the way patriotic people might think I am. Like, it's not like, oh, I hate the country. It's like, I love who we should be and I want us to live up to it. And so I was grateful that in your songs, I I at least sensed that kind of a feeling too. Like, you know, you're not saying the country is no good, but you're saying like the country has to live up to something. Right. That was my sense of it. Interested to hear what you think. Yeah, that. no, that's, I'm, I'm glad that that's what came through because that's always the, um, I think where the wrestling is with me around patriotism. Um, so the way that I was articulating it to a friend, um, several months ago, um, is like, you know, there's this notion of patriotism that I don't know if it would articulate itself this way, but this is kind of how it plays out is my country right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. in my mind, um, patriotism should be my country. Let's make sure she's right. Yes, you know, absolutely. Like I, I, yeah. I love it, it. I don't know. It's maybe like the parent that's always defending the kid, you know, but the kid is, 
is being a bully on the playground. And it would be much more loving of the parent to kind of discipline the kid and, and tell them they should, you know, be better to the, be nicer to the other kids. Um, so I kind of am explaining this, this thought process to my friend uh, on the phone, you know, like I, I think, you know, real patriotism is, is not my country, right or wrong. It's my country. Let's make sure that it's right. You know? And, and mm-hmm. he said, you're a cosmic patriot. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, it's actually Chesterton talks about it in orthodoxy, which I had mm-hmm. read, but did not remember the term, didn't recall the section. So I ended up looking it up again. And it's in so many words, not in the way that I just did, but he, he does talk about that, that like, you know, what we are called to be is, um, is cosmic patriots, which is, is basically, I think how you, uh, described it before you, before you threw your thoughts on patriotism to me. It's, it's this <laughs> idea that there are higher ideals and the best way we can love our country is to, um, is to hold it to those, you know, the, the standards and the ideals that we know are, are higher, are, are better. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I, I wasn't familiar with that term either, so I'm going to have to go look that up too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I have not read Orthodoxy, and that's a great uh, lapse on my part. I'm sure I need to do that. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. It's got some good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it comes up often enough. So. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, no, the analogy that you made about a parent and watching a bully child on the playground or something, it reminds me of um, I – you know, and I've talked about it a lot here on the podcast, but I come from a very partisan background, grew up in a really Republican family, and my partisanship has tempered quite a lot in my adulthood. I'm still registered a Republican, but I'm I'm way less attached to the party than I used to be. And and you know, I've been critical of the party quite a lot. And I feel like so many people are like, well, that's your side. You need to stick up for your side. And the same could be said of patriotism as a whole, you know, mm-hmm. for your country, you know, my country, right or wrong, that kind of idea. Um, but to me, I think about it like in the sense of a family. Like if I um, – additionally, I would say I I understand that there are issues with the other side. Like I'm not saying, well, because my side has some problems, then the other side must be great. Like I'm, I can totally understand that there are problems on both sides. Um, But if, 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 if in my family, my child were doing something bad, personally, I'm a little bit more concerned of that than that other person's child doing something bad (laughs) because I have a responsibility for my child and I am concerned about my child's future and their integrity and their prospects. So I am way more attuned to problems in my own family than I am in other people's families. So that's sort of how I've been feeling about my own critiques of my party. It's like (laughs) you should be concerned about the problems in your own family before you're concerned about the problems in the other one. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It reminded me of what you said there. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, one more thing I wanted to note before we really talk about the songs themselves, but, um, another thing I really liked about your music and maybe I'm reading into it, but I sense a loving criticism of the country, you know, um, I can, I can often be frustrated by hearing 
criticisms of the country that seem to sort of take the self out of it and criticize it as an other and just tear it down. And I feel like, well, like it or not, you're part of this system. And maybe it would be more helpful to have constructive criticism, but also a loving criticism to recognize that even if there are a ton of things wrong, there are still benefits too. And it's all, I don't know, it's all sort of muddled together. But I appreciated that your criticism to me came from sort of a loving position. Oh, I'm, I'm glad, again, I'm really, I'm really glad that, that that's what came through. Um, because that's, uh, was certainly my intention. I mean, you know, I, I think I say the, the harshest and the most cynical things when I'm kind of hashing stuff out with my wife, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't Mm -hmm. mean I, I say harsh or cynical things to her. I mean, I mean like when I'm trying to sort out what is the problem, what do I think is the source of it? What do I think can be done about it? Can something be done about it? You know, like I, I throw things at her. I, I throw ideas off her and she kind of will say, yeah, I think there's some merit there or mm, maybe scale it back a bit. You know, like she's, she and I, we play really well together, kind of trying to externally process and sort out all the junk of the world together. Um, but with, you know, like you, you can't, stay in those places of kind of cynicism mm-hmm. and, and darkness like it's it, there is an extent to which we we can acknowledge how horrible and wrong something is but at a certain point we have to um you know be able to kind of step back and look at it clearly and and recognize that no one is immune from echo chambers and cynicism about something can very quickly become uh, an an echo chamber that just kind of like fuels anger and hatred and uh, resentment. And, um, you know, I, I think especially on regarding Facebook conversations um, because like Twitter, you can't edit a tweet. Once you send it, it's there. You can, you can either delete it or, or not, you know? Um, but with Facebook, we do have the chance now to edit things that we post, but a lot of people don't. And what's funny to me about it is that there is a whole step between like, you know, typing up your argument, typing up everything you want to say. It's not out there. It's not like speaking, you know, where every word I'm saying to you is, is hitting you live. Like, on, on a platform like Facebook, you're typing it all up and then you still have to hit the send button. And it amazes me that, that just people write so many horrible and dark and cynical things to each other when they have the chance not to, you know, mm-hmm. to, to not hit that send button. And so, and again, maybe this is another weird or cheesy analogy and feel free to cut it. But, uh, cause I feel like I'm rambling now, but, um, my point is, you know, with, with these songs, I, I have a chance to kind of figure out, um, how I can address what I think is a legitimate problem. Um, but I can also take just as much time, um, working on the tone, you know, like not just what I want to say, but how I want to say it and, and what I want the final takeaway to be. And I had a, a, a some 
friend down in Louisiana. He's he's actually a, a kind of become friends with his parents over the years, and he's in high school. But he sent me a message on Instagram after he listened to the EP, and he said, "Thank you. It it left me with a feeling of peace." Mm-hmm. Which to me was really interesting because there's there's a lot of there are a lot of heavy themes um, in the music and and as I've said to you now I think a couple times like I'm there's a lot of heavy things in there so I'm really glad that that's what came through was this mm-hmm. feeling of peace like I uh, so I don't know have I answered your question no 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 that's good no and I I would agree I mean I've I I find it peaceful too. Um, which is interesting because you you wrestle with some heavy things in there, yeah. yeah. But when you were talking about cynicism, to me, the problem with cynicism is that it can be so destructive, right. you know. Right. And um, like I totally get why so many people in our country right now are cynical. I totally get it. I feel it. Um, but I think that so many of us are indulging that instead of trying to be more constructive. Right. And I think in order to be constructive, we have to like, we have to really work through our problems. And that includes like our historical problems, like which you touch on in your songs. Like I, I think there's a lot to be wrestled with, but I think that it needs to be wrestled with and then dealt with constructively instead of just like wallowing in cynicism and despair that doesn't help anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of, uh, I, I'm very meticulous about the the order that I put songs in. And sometimes mm-hmm. I won't even begin recording an album until I know what order I want the songs to be in. Because the order mm-hmm. that I put them in mm-hmm. affects, you know, how much production I give each one because I, I want it. Uh, it, it's a point of pride, you know, to be able to assemble the perfect mixtape. And so when I, re- when I go to record my albums, I try to record them as though each one is like an, an original mixtape, you know, so that you get a good flow and a good variety and you're kind of surprised from song to song, but it also makes sense, you know? And so uh, along the lines of everything that we're we're saying, you know, the word cynicism specifically is used both in the opening track and mm-hmm. in the closing track. So cynicism mm-hmm. is used in track one and then cynics, uh, fools and cynics is, is the repeating phrase kind of in the chorus on the mm-hmm. last song. And so it, you know, in both of those, that's kind of how I, I bookend. It's how I basically introduce the heavy stuff and how I kind of close on it is is reflecting on cynicism and trying to I guess spin it in a in a positive way, or at least offer a a suggestion. <laughs> right. You no, know? that's so. Well, well, that's the perfect segue here to start talking about the songs themselves because I actually wrote down a lot of the lines from your songs, and I wrote down both of those. <laughs> so, um, at any rate, I just wanted to note that, like, when I started this podcast, it never occurred to me at all that I would be talking to somebody about songs about music you know like that's not my my wheelhouse I have not even like listened to a lot of like interviews of musicians so there's probably a more elegant way to do it but I'm just going to go through one song after another and ask you some questions so all right now we're going to hear a clip from think about somebody else 
Freedom is a blessing, too much is a curse The ones who drink the most are the ones who die of thirst So take what you need, leave the rest on the shelf Maybe think about somebody else There's a new wave of anger coming down the line it's a sideways sort of justice And it's stealing all our time Before you go off fighting Try to collect yourself Maybe think about somebody else Um so your first track is called Think About Somebody Else. Mm-hmm. And I think it really sets the sort of peaceful tone for the for the songs. Um, but the lines in this one I just thought were so beautiful. And um, there were two, two ideas in particular that stuck out to me from this one. One is that you bring up the idea of, of freedom. You say freedom is a blessing, too much is a curse. The ones who drink the most are the ones who die of thirst. And later in your song, Independence, you also talk about when I left independence. And mm-hmm. I, I just thought about this concept of like freedom and independence. Like a lot of times, you know, in our culture today, we think freedom is like a, a lack of constraints, you know, just like let me do whatever the heck I want. It's like a it's like a, a way to pursue pleasure, you know? Yeah. And I think for people who um, at least my understanding from being in the church and people who are more faithful, to me at least, my sense is that freedom is not so much a lack of constraints as it is like a um, a realization of potential, like to to feel free in a really true and good sense. There's this this idea of, of um, leaving behind your attachments. I don't know. It's not so much like a lack of external constraints as maybe it is internal constraints. So I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that you brought up the idea of freedom and independence, but maybe not in quite the way, same way that like our culture would talk about freedom. So I don't know if you have anything to say about that. Yeah. Um- that yeah see that's interesting it's f- so fun for me to hear other people like actually consider, yeah. <laughs> consider the songs yeah. um so i really appreciate that um what so first uh it what you're picking up on in the song independence is absolutely intended um it's the the title of that song uh is is meant to have multiple meanings and I can wait and if for when when we get to that one if you want. But um yeah, I I mean you know that's that's kind of the the question is what is freedom really? You know, what does it mean to be a free country? Are we does it does it take anything away from like really? Does it take anything away from my freedom to have to wait 3 extra days? while a background check is conducted before I buy 
you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a semi-automatic weapon. And I'm not just saying that to be controversial. Like, I'm asking that as a legitimate question. Like, what does that really take away from my freedom? If you say, well, it's the principle. Like, what principle? Is it the principle of freedom? Is this like how how kind of circular or is this logic, you know? And so it's, I think in America we become, you know, I, I think the way you put it is is – is right, or at least the distinction that you noted between internal freedom and external freedom. Um, I think we have a tendency as Americans to place such a heavy emphasis on the minutia of our external freedoms that uh, we, we lose a lot of internal freedom in the process. Um, and I, And I'm just kind of saying all this kind of playing off of off of what um, what you said, but I, you know, when when I write this line, it's it's just kind of it's it's as much a reflection on you know our penchant for uh, consumerism and indulgence and all this stuff. I, you know, I, the the ones who drink the most are the ones who die of thirst. You know, I, I didn't necessarily have a specific image in mind behind that line. But when I kind of came up with it, you know, and this is kind of what I do, like oftentimes a a line will, when I write it, it is referring to a specific thing. Sometimes I Mm -hmm. I think of a line that I like and I, then I sit with it and I try and figure out like, all right, what, what are all of the ways that I could apply this? Like, what are all the different types of meaning I could ascribe to this? And if I if I like those, then the line stays, you know, then it sticks. That's, mm-hmm, that's kind of a mm-hmm. part of a part of my, pro- my process. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I, it, I'm a big proponent that kids should not have smartphones and social mm-hmm. media. Mm-hmm. And there, there is an epidemic of depression and, and um, mental illness um, deteriorating mental health and suicide amongst our teenagers. And it's because we give them this, this device that features, it, it comes within it, the tools, you know, we are giving them the tools to make or break their own self-esteem and to destroy the self-esteem of others. We are giving them all of the information in the world. We're putting it in their pockets and we're giving it to them without, you know, restrictions. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's killing them. Like it's there, they do it because it, it just becomes, you know, this, this addiction and they drink and they drink and they drink and it only makes them thirstier, you know? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and I, I, I say mm-hmm. this about kids, but it's, it does it to all of us. You know, I, I I'll go through phases where, God, I've been on my phone a lot today. I got to put it down. And, and sometimes when I'm driving, you know, I, I try to not, I try very actively not to be a distracted driver. Um, but if I notice myself even reaching for the phone a bunch, I'll just get mad and I'll usually probably say a curse word and then I'll just throw the phone over my shoulder so it's in the back seat and I can't reach it, you know, just like <laughs> just I got to cut it off, you know. So um, anyway, yeah, it, it, it so it, it very much, I don't think this line would exist the way it does uh, if I wasn't American, you know, if I, if I didn't yeah. grow up hearing 
the term freedom thrown around and used so much and so passionately and still so often I'm thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> like mm -hmm. they're going to take away our freedom. Which ones? Like, wh wh what do you mean? It just, it just sounds like you're afraid of something and I have no idea what, you know? Right. I, right, I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of rambling at this point. No, 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 no. That makes sense. Yeah. And I thought that that's interesting. I hadn't thought of the social media connection on that one line. It makes, I don't know, it makes a lot of sense. Well, what, that wasn't necessarily what was in my head when I wrote it. That's just, I'm kind of. Yeah, but it's a good example. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. The other line that really stuck out to me is, um, there's a new wave of anger coming down the line. It's a sideways sort of justice and it's stealing all our time. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, what a great way to put it. Like a sideways sort of justice. Like the internet is so angry, you know, like yeah. all the time. I would say right now, but it's just always angry. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like um, so many people participate in and contribute to this like outrage machine. It's just like a constant outrage machine. And I don't mean to say that there aren't some really valid things to be upset about. There absolutely are. But I think we've gotten into this place where like every day we turn on this little outrage machine in front of us and we just like, we indulge it and it's so bad for us, you know? Yeah. So and when we're outraged all the time, I think it also can be harder to like distinguish between what things we're meant to be angry about and we're meant to try to do something about and which ones really don't have anything to do with us and need to be left for something or someone else. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like it desensitizes us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I just thought, yeah, there's just always a constant new wave of anger and – yeah, it's it's like a yeah, I just thought that was great. A sideways sort of justice. Like, you know, a lot of times people will think that they're like pursuing justice on something, but it's that's not really what they're achieving. Yeah. The imagery that you that it sent you to is exactly what I I it's what I was writing about. Um Okay. Yeah. And I but I made it less explicit. So the 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 original line um you know, before you go off fighting, try to collect yourself. Um, that is a direct, a direct reference to engaging, you know, in, mm -hmm. in these, in these bouts of anger online. But the original, yeah. the original line I had was before you go off thumbs a blazing, <laughs> uh, which I, clearly, you know what I mean by that. Yeah. You know? It's like pulling out the phone is the new gun, you know, and right. you just, your, your thumbs are firing off bullets with each tweet and, and it's stealing all of our time. And, and, uh, but I, I thought it was a little, a little bit of a cheesy play on words. <laughs> and I also didn't want it to be, um, you know, quite as explicit. I, I, I wanted to, to make it, it definitely, it certainly is the, the direction that I, that I, I wanted to lead people in terms of, um, that that's the imagery that I was, you know, trying to convey, but I also wanted to veil it a little bit. So I, I don't mean to like remove the veil by <laughs> sharing the thoughts. No, now, no, no, no. read my thoughts. So I No, it's it fun. Okay. It's fun. Yeah. Um, did you have anything else that, that you'd like to tell us about that song in particular? Um, I would say, 
you know, you, it seems like the, the that phrase sideways sort of justice um, really spoke to you. Yeah. And it's, it's something that I've been thinking about a, a lot, you know, the last four years in, in particular, probably. Um, but, you know, I, I think we, we always tend to feel like if we're angry about something, then our anger is righteous. Mm-hmm. And it isn't necessarily. Um, I, I think to assume that or to assert that is to assume that we are right, you know, from the get go in we are, we are right that we should be mad about this. Um, you know, we have all of our facts straight. Our narrative is correct. Everybody else is an idiot. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of how we, uh, without saying all of that, I think that's oftentimes how we act. And so we kind of conflate an anger that, that may be righteous with uh, how we choose to kind of uh, go about fighting for this just cause. No, right. Yeah. Now, one thing I've been thinking about a lot, I've been, I've been struggling with, (laughs) with how people deal with anger online. So I don't know. I actually am somebody who has a really hot temper and I'm sure my kids could tell you that I get angry all the time. Um, And I'm always trying to sort of bring myself down and trying to, you know, be a, um, be a, a nicer parent in that respect. But for some reason, when it comes to political things, there's just like something in my personality where I don't tend to get very angry about political things. Um, to be honest, I'm sure part of it is my privilege. I've, I am a very lucky person and I, I don't have as much personally to be angry about as a lot of people very justifiably do. So that's part of it. But I also think there's just something in my personality where when it comes to politics, my inclination is to slow down, as you say later. And my inclination is to take a step back. And I just want to like understand the situation and try to like explain it. And that's just my inclination, which is like the whole point to me starting this podcast um, is I think that we could use more political discussion that's a little bit calmer and slower and more deliberate. So yeah, that's my inclination. But one thing I've thought about lately is, um, or I think I've observed, is there are some really valid things to be angry about right now. But I see a lot of people almost like disproportionately angry to what you would expect from them um, individually. And I almost think that there's become this thing where people are like appropriating the anger of others. They're like, you know, just like you talk about people like appropriating cultures. Like I think right now a lot of pretty privileged people are appropriating the anger of people who are underprivileged And I think that we need to like check ourselves on that. Like we need to be careful how we deal with that because Mm -hmm. if we are, if we're trying to, to bring justice and we're trying to improve situations, like it shouldn't be a feeding frenzy. Like it it should be done for the good of the other and not just to like, to, like I said before, like wallow in cynicism or anger. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like all of that. Um, I, I had a, con- a conversation recently with with a husband and wife uh, songwriting duo on 
uh, on my podcast. I, I featured one of their songs and we, we discussed it at, at length. And um, the first time I heard them play it uh, was in Nashville just a, a couple months ago. And they didn't, when they first played it, they didn't announce the title of it. They just said, this is a justice song. And then they started playing it. And when I heard it, I thought, that's, I know I want to talk about that for my podcast. And I thought it was about one thing. Like, I, you know, I heard this justice song, which quotes Martin Luther King Jr., you know, through the lens of everything that's been happening now. And so I was sure that that's what they were referring to, um, you know, that they were, were, were referring to this um, pandemic-infused uh you know, wave of, of righteous anger that's, that's, that's come up with this uh, resurgence of an acknowledgement of racial tensions in America. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it was, it was about stories that, th- that they've heard from people they've met um, who work uh, to kind of end human trafficking in the world. Mm. And so, you know, we talk about it and the song takes on this whole other meaning, but Mm -hmm. they said something in the conversation that, um, was really cool. You know, they said, we, we try, we make a concerted effort not to jump on justice bandwagons, you know, and I'm very much paraphrasing the conversation Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Um, like justice is more than a hashtag. It has to be right. It's more than posting a black square on, on Instagram, you know, for one day, you know, like it mm-hmm. has to be, I'm not knocking that at all. I'm saying like justice is so much more than that. And what they've chosen to do, you know, as a, as a, as artists, as a husband, as a couple, um, the cause, the specific cause of justice that they are, are really working toward that they're investing in is, is human trafficking and you know, modern day slavery, sex trafficking and all that stuff. And, and it was, you know, it, it kind of, this conversation gave me a way to sort out some of my thoughts on that, that like um, justice does require long-term investment. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a great thing to go out and march if people are marching you know, and the cause is just, but if there's something you can really, really invest in and, and cultivate and build a relationship with the movement of justice over time, like that's, that's what we need. And, right. and the hashtags don't cut it. So right. <laughs> but I mean, I, like yeah, an honest commitment and yeah. Yeah. Integrity to that. Yeah. yeah. There was something else you said, Oh, about you feeling pretty calm about politics. Like when things happen, um, I am very much the same way now, I think. Um, and it, I have no, no qualms. If anybody attributes that to the privilege that I do have, I will not bother arguing with that. Um, but it, it also though is something that I have, I practiced it, if that makes Mm, sense, mm -hmm. you know, like there was, there was a period I want Just to like, say, I need to practice not yelling at my kids. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and eventually you won't as much. You know? Right, right. <laughs> Even if you want to or you think now would be a good time to, you know. Right, uh, yeah. The, um, yeah, no, it, it was just years ago when I was younger during probably the 2012 election, you know. 
um, I was very much in this uh, self-righteousness. Both parties are wrong. Everybody's wrong. Uh, I'm not going to bother telling people they shouldn't vote for Obama or they shouldn't vote for Romney. Everybody's wrong. I'm going to argue with everybody, you know, and, mm-hmm. and point out to them the laws, the, the flaws in their logic. It's it's humorous when I think about it now, but I, uh, I made the decision at some point right before that election to just stop engaging in political conversations on Facebook, which seems silly now, like to say that. But at the time, like that was where everybody was there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, I once I did that, once I stepped back and was still observing these conversations happening online, but wasn't engaging in them more, I was able to, I think, analyze all the arguments more clearly and kind of figure out where I stood without having to constantly defend claims that I was making that might not have been correct in the moment. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it, yeah, it gave yeah, me an opportunity yeah. to kind of step back and analyze everything. Um, it, it just gave me a sense of calm and clarity that I, I didn't, I didn't have, I, I couldn't have when I was constantly in the fray and, and dwelling on things that I shouldn't have been dwelling on. It was stealing all my time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I remember when I think this was probably almost 10 years ago when I first got onto Facebook and I had probably just had one baby at the time. And, um, I got into like a little Facebook political argument with a couple of old friends from high school and it was on a tax issue. And I was like <laughs> bantering back and forth. And then later I was like, I don't care about that. Right. Like, why was I just arguing with these people when I don't even care about the issue? I like, why would I care to be right when I don't care about the issue itself? Like, so that sort of introduced to me this idea of don't argue about something if you don't care about it. (laughs) It's just a, it's just a waste of time and it just feeds into the frenzy, you know? So it's, I, I still, I will engage in a political conversation on Facebook, but it has to be the right opportunity. It has to be a subject I care about. It has to be a topic on which I think I can make a difference with people. I think I can make a difference with, Mm -hmm. um, I've learned that the hard way. (laughs) If it's a a crowd that is not going to listen to you at all, there's just no point. Yeah. Um, you know, for, I mean, for the most part, it has to be someone you have a relationship with and, um, and of course it has to be charitable. So I have like a lot of rules for myself. Right. Um, yeah, same. And if it doesn't fit into those parameters, I don't engage. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about your second track, Get Together, <laughs> and let's hear uh, a clip of it. <laughs> If I was a question, what kind of question would I be? The kind perhaps impossible to answer honestly. Maybe I'd be hypothetical, or do you think I would be? A question for the listener, one full of irony. Would I be a setup for some candidate's demise? A question that's quite tricky but straightforward in disguise. I ask us when we're talking, it's like the world is going to end 
But when it does, will there be anybody left to start again? And I don't think such questions are healthy for our brains. I think they exponentiate our drama and our pain. Yes, the apocalypse is never far away. But you'll fare better if you aren't always afraid. So I think we should get together and listen to some records like they did way back when. People saw records, sunny I don't pretend that I've got all the answers. Ooh, why don't we? All right, so. I don't have as much to ask you about this one, but I will say it's a little bit more fun, upbeat, it's clever, um, and it is my son's favorite song oh, on your of yours. <laughs> so I, my ten year old, is really into music, and so I, I handed him my phone last week and said, "Here, listen to these songs. Tell me what you think." And he said his favorite is "Get Together," and he requested that we listen to it tonight at dinner times. So. Oh, that's fun. So we did. And I also caught him singing it to himself while he was brushing his teeth. So it's caught in his ear. Um, but I asked him if he had any questions to ask you. And he wants to know how many instruments you play. Oh, gosh. Uh, I mean, confidently, I would say two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guitar and harmonica. Um, I... On piano, I honestly, I only play things I write. So once I write it, um, once I'm finished kind of composing it, then I, I can generally play it okay. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But I don't play piano live. Uh, you know, it shows nearly as much as I used to. Um, but, you know, when, I, when I'm recording, if, if you can play a guitar, you know, you can play a mandolin, you can play a banjo, you could figure, you could play enough on bass to kind of get by. Um, it's, they're just, they're, they're so similar. It's just kind mm -hmm. of a, a matter of remembering, uh, how to form the chords, mm -hmm. your fingers on each one. So I, you know, when I record, I will play a lot more than I would ever dare to play live because you're, you're piecing the best takes together generally. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I confidently I would say two guitar, okay, <laughs> guitar and harmonica. But you could you could yeah, that's that's how I'll answer that question. <laughs> All right, great. And I will just mention one line from that song. Um, you say, "I think the discourse has been tragically misled," and I was yeah. like, "I agree." <laughs> I feel like that's been sort of my whole theme with. Uh, starting this podcast with this discourse has been tragically misled. <laughs> Let's try for a better one. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you have anything else you want to say about that. It's I, I it's a it's a fun song. Uh, well, thank you. I, you know, I wrote the song in sequence. So sometimes I'll write a song and then I will, I'll try a bunch of different things and then I'll go back and kind of reorder verses and then tweak things kind of a, a, accordingly. Um, mm -hmm. This one, for as random and absurd as the satire, I, I, I kind of refer to this one as like a self-deprecating absurdist yeah. satire. <laughs> uh, I like the last verse in particular that sort of, you know, 
makes fun of the rest of the song, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the author who who uh, must must believe that brevity is a sin. Otherwise, why yeah. is he still singing this stupid song? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, no, I, I I do not know. I. I I can't explain where the opening line came from. You know, if I was a question, what kind of question would I be? I do not know why I sang that out loud, but I, <laughs> I must have. And then it just spurned what was for me just kind of a fun, quirky uh, exercise in wordplay. And then it kind of quickly became, uh, you know, funny on the surface, but a very serious line of of questioning and cultural commentary. Um, in, in the midst is like, you know, you're asking all these questions, um, but I don't think such questions are healthy for our brains. Like, I, I think they just exponentiate our drama and our pain, you know, like I ask, cause when you're talking, it's like the world is going to end. Like I, this, I wrote this song in February of 2016, which might really, yes, which huh. I, I totally realized when I was recording it and, and intending to release it before this election. Um, I, I knew that people would assume that it was written about now, you know, about quarantine because we can't mm -hmm. get together and that's all we want to do. We want to, yeah. we want to get together. We want to listen to music. We want to be able to have real conversations again. Um, we would rather yell at each other in person than than online, you know? Uh, yeah, no, I absolutely thought it was written this year. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. But it was, it was, it ended up being a straight commentary on what I was observing in the midst of the, um, you know, 2016 presidential election. And, and because it was February, I, I think that means neither Hillary nor Trump were officially the you know, the candidates yet. Right. Um, but I just saw the conversation, uh, the dialogue, the discourse across the board online and in person deteriorating at a rapid pace. And the fear that was being marketed and sold was just through the roof. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. It's almost like a little time capsule from 20, from the 2016 election landed here in the 2020 election. I, yeah, it, it, yeah, it almost took on a even more meaning because of the pandemic. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, actually that that makes me um mention I meant to mention it in the um introduction, but we are recording this conversation on November 4th, the day after the election. At which point we don't know officially who's going to be the next president. Yeah. So presumably sometime in the next couple of days we'll get an answer. So by the time this episode airs, we'll, uh, we'll know. But we're stuck in this in-between place right now. It's, uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know how you're feeling about this moment, but I'm feeling like everything is um, on hold and muted and waiting and like quiet. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah, that's that's how I feel. <laughs> it, it's it, like everybody's waiting to come out from under a rock, and figure out what's going on. Yeah, I'm I'm not getting upset over any of the <laughs> claims being made um, by certain parties about mm -hmm. what's happening because it's mm -hmm. they're just doing exactly what they said they were going to do. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why people would be surprised. So right, I, right, yeah. right. anyway, we don't have yep, to go there. Nope. But 
Yeah. Nope. I just thought it was worth mentioning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Maybe I'll just let you leave it at that. No, that's fine. But that that also leads me what you were saying before about having written in, that song in 2016 as a whole. Like, what was the the formulation of of this collection of songs like? Was is that the only one that didn't that wasn't written this year? Like, how did it all come together? Oh no no no. So slow down. I want to say I actually wrote that one in 2014 because I remember it was the first apartment we lived in after we got married. See, right at the end of 2013 or 2014. And I remember the day I wrote it, playing it for my wife when she came home from work at the hospital. And um, yeah, so that was just uh, a, and this, honestly, that would have been right after my year of that first year of very intentionally not, um, you know, engaging um, in discussions about politics online. I still did it in person when it came up. I was just, I, tr I made a very concerted effort to be, to not straw man and to not, you know, throw red herrings and, and um, I don't know, put labels on people or on their stances that I, I figured they wouldn't agree with themselves, you know, cause that, that doesn't do anything for the conversation. So what was your question? <laughs> my, my question was, um, just how did all, how did this collection of songs oh, come yeah. together? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. over time, um, but again, I, I normally don't start even recording something until I, I have the right set of songs together. Mm -hmm. So uh, slow down. I wrote, I want to say 2013 or 2014, um, get together in independence. I wrote, uh, within a day of each other. Honestly, I, hmm. I wrote, I wrote both of them the, the same week, probably a day or two apart, which is funny because they're polar opposites as far as songs go. Yeah. <laughs> um, Making on a stand, I wrote, uh, I want to say most of it probably 2017, um, end of 2017 and 2018. And then think about somebody else and don't let the flag touch the ground. I wrote basically between June and July. I, I, I yeah. So, so they're the two real fruits of 2020. <laughs> they are, but, but I felt like, um, all of them were a part of the process that, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess I feel like everything from 2016 up until now is just so inextricably linked that it's, especially for, for me, just kind of thematically, yeah, they, no, all, they, all just, they all just yeah. seem to fit so well with now. Yeah. No, that makes happened, sense. Which is kind of tragic. <laughs> when you think about it, but yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk specifically about slow down and let's hear a clip from that song. I like to take a moment, I won't tell you my name But I have eyes and I have seen felt Gehenna's flame Yes, I am a sinner, a lost fish and a fool 
It's hard to navigate the waters in this muddy pool. To me it is so obvious, but it might be news to you. It don't matter what color the man, if he is red or if he's blue. If you believe in what he says, and don't trust your own ears. You're the master of your purse, and he's just selling fear. So slow down, slow down. You're the master of your purse, and he's just selling fear. Right, so I just wanted to say in this one, there are a couple of places where you have given us like a little bit of an unexpected note or unexpected phrasing, and I just thought it was brilliant. Okay. I thought it was it was it was so fun for me to listen to <laughs> to it and hear expect one note and hear another and be like, oh, that was so cool. So <laughs> uh, I loved it. Um, I just thought you just the basic the basic i mean the title of the song and the basic message just slow down i mean that alone is such solid advice and what so much of us need to hear right now i mean and i'm not even talking about pace of life because we've all had to slow that down but just like to slow down our processing of the world and our engaging with the world and our anxiety and our fear and anger so um yeah, I just this song is is a little bit like heavier, I think, and um, I don't know how you would describe it, but it's I don't know, kind of like I don't know, dusky or something. It's it's like oh, dusky. That's interesting. So not quite dark, but getting there. I don't know. Keep going. Keep describing it. This is fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't something use like I wouldn't use any of those words to describe it. Ah, interesting. So yeah. how would you describe it? Well, uh, ah, man. So this was at, um, I was, I was pretty fresh off of releasing my last album. It, it may have been, may have been a year old and it's a, it's a double album, uh, that has a, a sweep of sounds. As I said in the beginning, you know, it's got a hymn, it's got some drinking songs, it's got everything in between. Um, blues, gospel, dark gospel, um, really stripped back, mellow, melancholy singer, songwriter, indie rock, uh, pop rock, neo classic rock, an instrumental piece, just piano. Like it's got a little bit of everything. And when I finished writing it, uh, sorry, when I finished recording that album and was about to release before I even released it, you know, I was living in Baltimore at the time. And I remember walking home late one night and nobody had heard the album yet. Uh, and I and I just kind of thought, what am I going to do next? Like, what what am I? Where am I going to go? There's just such a there's such an expansive soundscape on this double album. Like, what what am what type of thing am I going to record next? And I had in my mind, like, should I strip it back and try to make something beautiful, or should I amp up the indie roots rock vibe? Um, and so the the way that I ended up producing slow down for this EP is is very different than than how I always heard it uh, in my head and how I was intended to record it, which I can't ever do it the way I wanted to unless I have an actual budget, um, <laughs> because there's there's a, there is a verse in the middle where it's now just the instrumental section. There is a verse in the middle there that I cut out, and huh. and there's like a call and response 
section of slow down, slow oh. down that I wanted to be like me oh, and then a neat. gospel chorus just belting out. Yeah, that'd be cool. Response thing. Um, but then it will still end the same way. Like everything will fall away and it'll just be yeah. a chorus of people clapping and and the chuck a chuck on the guitar and and the last verse about forgiveness. So like I always intended it um to have this kind of um uh embellished isn't the right word and dark isn't the right word. Uh and serious isn't even the right word, even though the song is serious. But maybe you can help me find the right uh, adjective. No. So, I, yeah, I mean, when you said like soul and, and the idea of introducing gospel, it's like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like yeah. it just has that like, um, I feel like there's like a warmth to it, but there's like a a um, a power to it too. I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I, it was interesting. And I think um, the couple lines here in this song that I find it so interesting. You said you wrote this one like in 2013, 2014, something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 It would have been, it was when we lived in our first apartment and we lived there from yeah fall of 2013, right? We got married till, till f- for a year. We lived there for a year. Yeah. So, so I think that's so interesting because I thought uh, for sure it was written during the Trump administration, you know? <laughs> I mean, not that we need to get too too deep into it, but like you have some of the lines in there. You say like, if you believe in what he says and you don't trust your own ears, you're the master of your person and he's just selling fear. Yeah. Um, oh, it's, per- it's purse. You're the master of your purse. Person. You know what? I thought, you know what? I When I wrote person, I thought, I wonder if he's saying purse. Yeah. Okay. Which is kind of an old timey reference. You know, sure, and and I I definitely wanted it to have that kind of like old timey boot stomping vibe, um, but with a kind of like a fun but also dark gospel, maybe dusky. Yeah, I've never heard a song referred to as dusky before, but I'll just assume that I know what you you'll, mean by it. I'll you'll take that I know one what right. you mean by it, and I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just thought. Um. Up the chain of this command, the blind lead the blind. You can change the voice that's leading them all, but you cannot change their minds. Like that's an idea right now that I'm, as I interpret it, that I'm struggling with. Because here we're, we've been coming off of four years of the Trump administration and, um, you know, a situation where this president has developed such a loyal following such a strong base um and if he's not there for the next four years like like what what happens to that like yeah you, you he's he's built up this this group that is not just gonna go away and their attachment to him is not going to go away so you know if uh, you know it's, you know, you can change the voice that's leading them all, but you cannot change their minds. To me, that's like, like, well, here you've got this, this whole movement built up. What happens with that? Yeah. And it's a big question that, you know, we're all facing right now. It does Trump essentially stick around and just keep like building up his base? Um, or does he do the more traditional presidential thing of going off quietly, which I don't quite see, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I mean, this is assuming he he doesn't win re-election. We don't yet know. Um, 
and the line too, don't give into your hatred or you ain't never going to be free. I mean, that's, that's sort of, I think even touches on what we've been talking about with anger, you know, like you can become imprisoned in this anger and certainly in hatred. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I think this is one of those songs that, um, it just begins with a line and I run with it mm-hmm. and what comes out is this, um, and, and I'm very conscious about the direction I go and, 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 you know, once, once I pick something I like, um, I am very intent, I'm very intentional with it. Um, you know, like the line you mentioned about, if you believe in what he says then don't trust your own ears. Well, the line right before that is it don't matter what color the man which mm-hmm. seems like it's about race, but then it says if he's red or if he's blue, which is right. a specific reference to Republican Democrat, right? Yeah. Like if you believe in what he says, don't trust your own ears. You're the master mm-hmm. of your purse, and he's just selling fear. Like mm-hmm. what I'm, I, what I'm trying to do is like take this this place that I had come to, um, what was for me kind of a, a disillusionment with. I, you know, I like you. I grew up in a very, um, uh, it was a very conservative, Catholic, uh, conservative environment, which in the '90s I think meant Republican, right? Um, at a certain point, it, I I had a hard time, you know, making sense of of the two. Uh, I think later on in high school, and yet I saw the. You know, when when I looked at the things that I didn't like in the rhetoric of the red, um, in their ways and in their means, and then I considered the blue, I saw the same tactics, you know, different ends, but the same type of tactics, the the same kind of um, twisted kind of almost like a bl- like a willfully blind loyalty to whatever the party line was you know and, and i mm-hmm. i just felt like i had nowhere to go and so mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. think the initial phase of disillusionment maybe like grief might be anger um and and you you take it and kind of lash out at it uh, not just the other side now but at all sides because you're they're all wrong and you're the lone voice screaming mm. out in the wilderness you know <laughs> abandon your mm. politics make straight the ways of the lord you know like <laughs> just I, I think this song was kind of me personifying um this place that i had come to after pulling back from all of that um, you know, mm-hmm. after slowing down myself, this is me kind of adopting a, a persona in this song, um, who, who kind of still has the same assessment of the situation as I did, but my approach to it is totally different. You know, I, I think it's, it's healthier. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it's don't yeah. give into your anger. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't, don't give into your hatred or you're never going to be free, uh, which again is, is I think ties into the the first conversation we had about, um, freedom. Right. All right. All right. Well, let's move on to the fourth track, which is don't let the flag touch the ground. And let's, let's listen to a clip from that song. Thank you. 
Back when the pulse of our people was young We took the land by the light of the gun We broke their bread Then burned their villages down But we never let the flag touch the ground We whitewashed their cultures and made them convert We knelt on their necks while they were down in the dirt On two reservations we sent them all down But not once did we let the flag touch the ground All right, this this song is is the real, I think, like heavyweight on, on this collection of songs. At least for me personally, it was. And you know, I alluded to it at the beginning, but this idea is something that I've I've struggled with. I I do respect the flag. I do say the Pledge of Allegiance. I do stand for it. I do. Um, I, I have noticed my kids, like we have a bunch of these little tiny American flags that we got at like 4th of July parades over the years. And I keep pulling them up into like a storage room so that they can just be like brought out of the 4th of July. But my kids find them and they they like drop them all over the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like literally picking up these little American flags off the ground all the time. <laughs> like I'm telling my kids, pick up this flag off the ground. You don't leave it on the ground. So that's like ingrained in me. But that being said, I, you know, in the past five years or so, I've had this big sense of like, um, I feel like really patriotic Americans can sometimes almost view the flag with like a form of idolatry. Yeah. Like I, I kind of hate to say that, but like it is not a sacred object. Right. It's not, it's not a sacred object. It's an object that represents a country, not a God, you know? It, ha- and, it has no meaning without the people that it flies. Right. With. Yeah. And it, in my view, represents those ideals that I talked about at the beginning of our conversation. And when I am being respectful of the flag, I'm being respectful of those ideals. But I also recognize that our country has a very, you know, tenuous relationship with those ideals. And I fully understand why some people would look at the flag and not feel like they want to respect it because they are so impacted by or frustrated with this tenuous relationship with our ideals. So it was sort of funny. When I was listening to this song, I jotted down a note on a piece of paper. I wrote down, we have confused having ideals with living them out. And then later in the song, you use the word unlived ideals. And I was like, ha ha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so to me, I just think, like, I feel like for someone who's really patriotic, when they hear the song, their first re- reaction might be to get their like hackles up. They might be a little unhappy <laughs> about it. But I would just invite someone to like slow down, take a step back, consider it, and to really wrestle with the idea of 
the reverence that we show for this piece of fabric versus the things our country has done over the years. And again and again in this song, you, you talk about um, a bad thing that our country has done and you juxtapose it with, but we we value this piece of cloth so highly that we won't let it touch the ground. So it's like we're treating the fabric better than we're treating the people. Yeah, And right. it's so powerful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I, I don't know. That, I don't know that I have much more to add. <laughs> well, let me, let me talk a little bit more then. Yeah, so just, just, just because, you know, I'll, I'll uh, feature a clip of the song, but you, you go through various. It sweeps through history. Through, right, through American right. history. Yeah. Right. So you start with, um, you say back when the pulse of our people was young, we took the land by the light of the gun. So you go through from like the beginning of the country um, onward through slavery, through civil rights, all that. Um, we beat them until they were all bloody and red, worked them until they all wished they were dead sold their wives and their kids to a field out of town, but we never let the flag touch the ground. So it's, I mean, it's hard. This, this one is hard, but I just think it's, it's one of those like examples of like us needing to do that hard work and like wrestling with these things. But it's, to me, it's, it's hard in a productive direction. Yeah. Not just a cynical one. That's the hope. Yeah. Right. And, And I, absolutely tried to you know uh bring it around to that um at the end and and i you know basically the the first half of the song culminates in a a series of questions and then the song ends with a series of questions you know um Mm -hmm. the first half kind of ends you know now the old crow still flies though he's much more discreet and those who can see him are out in the street does every life really matter? Like, does every life really matter? Should the statues come down? How long can we keep the flag off the ground? Like, it's it's so easy for people to pick a side on the statues. It's a part of our history. Don't tear them down. It represents racism. You know, would you want a statue of the guy that stole your kid and sold him to the field out of town? Would you want his statue hanging up? Uh, in this roundabout so you to drive mm-hmm. through it every day on your way to work mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It, it's a serious question like it it's a it's something it's a part of our history that we need to contemplate seriously and and reconcile whatever that means you know and i guess at the end um the questions that it that the song ends with then you know are in all of this violence is God on our side or is he nailed to the wood of the beams in our eyes? You know, is our cause always just and our strategy sound as long as we don't let the flag touch the ground? That last couplet yeah. is a direct reference to, I think, what we opened the conversation with. Um, right. Is it is it patriotic to assume that because your country's doing it, that your cause is always just because it's you and it's your cause and that your strategy is okay that it it would be justified and righteous in the eyes of God because you're you're standing with your country in what they've decided to do you know like as as long as we respect the symbol you know is um is our cause just are are we right and true you know i 
this is a funny one because I had the, this is all after me just saying, I don't think I have much more to add, right? Um, (laughs) I I just had to read a couple more of the lines to get you going there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I had the, um, Springsteen has a a good saying for for songwriters. You know, he says a, a good title can get you a long way. And I have found that to be absolutely true. I think some of the best songs that I've written began with like I might have had some music but no words like the first words that came were the title Hmm. and then after that it was just only a matter of time before um you know the, the the title became the theme and after so much time of contemplating the theme then I start to to pull my thoughts all down from the swirling ether above me and arrange them in a certain way you know so um it don't let the flag touch the ground was this just this thought I had probably about three years ago. Um, I just thought that it would, it would, in its simplest formulation, like be a good way to explore an interesting way to explore um, a very serious thing, you know, flag etiquette, respecting our, our symbols that do mean something to people. Um, And juxtaposing that, um, with juxtaposing res- the respect that we demand for the symbol with the disrespect that we're willing to permit or justify towards the people that the symbol means nothing without, you know, which I kind of think you already articulated that. Right. Absolutely. Um, but Yeah. I just, I wanted to read one more of the lines because yeah. this was another one that I just really found so powerful, especially right now while we're talking about voting and the legacy of um, voting rights having been thwarted. Mm. Um, you say, we gave them all rights. I don't know if I have that quite right. We gave, we them, gave them more them all, rights. More rights. Yeah. Okay. We gave them more rights while we screamed segregate. We beat them and hosed them to show them their place. We made the front for the white and the back for the brown but we never let the flag touch the ground. That was another of those lines. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Um, I just think it's, gosh, it's so important to think about. Like we can just become so attached to this idea of like doing the proper patriotic thing while losing sight of the injustices that have been done in our name, you know? And it, that line in particular reminded me of um, a thought I had yesterday or past couple days thinking about coming up to the election and the chatter from the Republican side that, oh, we should not count all these votes. We should go to court to prevent votes from being counted. And at the same time as I'm hearing that come through the news, I'm also seeing person after person post on social media um, a picture of them voting early in honor of their grandparents who were prevented from voting, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, this is for my great grandma who who they wouldn't let register to vote, you know, and here I can do it and you better believe I'm going to do it. And I just thought as I was watching this juxtaposition in the past few days, I was thinking like, I don't know, kind of, kind of had like a guttural reaction. It was just like directed sort of at the, at those who would who would want to stop counting votes. Like, 
oh my gosh, like, how dare you? Come on. Um, You know, when you have this terrible history, you know, you get past slavery, but, you know, you get through Reconstruction, but then for decades, people were intimidated and killed and you know, their houses burned, just all these horrible things happened because they wanted to vote Mm -hmm. because they wanted this basic democratic right (laughs) that we all enjoy. And here in the 21st century, you still have a major political party that seems to be doing everything it can to stop people from voting. Mm -hmm. So at any rate, it's just, to me, it seems (sighs) unreal that we should still be struggling just with the basic idea that everybody gets to vote. Yeah. And that line in particular just reminded me of, of that concept. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad. And it's, it, again, maybe I'm beating a dead horse when I say this, but it's, it's so cool for me to, to hear what other people think of, um, like what images it conjures to, to their mind when, when they hear these words. Um, yeah, you put something out into the world and it can become different things to different people, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I The stanza that comes right after the kind of harmonica, the extended harmonica bit, I, it's not quite a harmonica solo because it's just extended from, from the whatever. That would be a boring description. Anyway, <laughs> the stanza that kind of, um, <laughs> that kind of begins the last triptych. Um, I once heard a song sounded more like a poem or a prophecy warning the people of Rome. They ignored justice and so freedom fell. That's why there's a crack in the Liberty Bell. Um, I have always, I'm kind of asserting America here as, as the new Rome, you know, more, mm-hmm, more poetically mm-hmm. than anything else. But right. I have always found the, the Liberty Bell to be almost like it it was always a prophecy and we always missed it. (laughs) You know, we, we were, Hmm. we were always (laughs) so tragically unaware of the irony of this, this bell, the Liberty bell, the bell that is going to be ringing for freedom. The first time we ring it, it cracks, you know, and that's because our understanding of freedom is inadequate. It's it. There's a huge gaping crack in it, you know, and that is mm. this, um, this the subjugation of indigenous people and the enslavement of these African people. Um, it, it it was almost like it was right there, and we just we missed it, and now the bell hangs in Philadelphia. <laughs> and it's a tourist attraction. Wow, yeah. You know? So what a thought, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's I'm glad you said that because actually that was one line that I was like, you know what? I know I'm not quite getting this one. <laughs> There's so much more to it that I sort of looked over it because I was so focused on everything else. I'm glad yeah. you said that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move on to track number five, which is called Independence, and we'll hear a clip from it. When I left independence 
I was just a kid Mostly unaware of The world and all it hid I left for California To pen the streams for gold When I left independence I was seventeen years old I left my family to go out on my own I condemned my father to work the fields alone I was bound for glory my own claim to stake When I got to California I got in here too late All right, so I have to say that this is the song that I find the most beautiful, but I also think I understand the least. (laughs) So when I first listened to it, I was like, oh, this is lovely. And I, I sort of had in my mind this idea of this like young man leaving his family farm, going to California to try to you know, strike it rich and oh, it was sad. And then on a, on like a, a few times later when I listened to it again, that's when I noticed you said um, something about all the widows and orphans that we made. Uh-huh. When I, when I first heard you sing it, I thought you meant that as these men left their families to go out West, they essentially left them widows and orphans. Oh, that's interesting. And then when I heard it again, I realized that you were talking about like um, attacks on Native American villages. And I was like, oh, I hadn't realized that's what he was talking about. The song's a lot darker now. (laughs) Um, And at any rate, so, but I just feel like I don't understand that one as well. And I was hoping you could explain it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So what I'll say for people listening, if they want to hear it, before I talk about it, then now would be a good time to pause and go listen to it. All right. Uh, that's that's what I'd say. Because this one is... Um, and I will note that you'll find links in the show notes. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, all right, let me pull up a quote here. And I, I will say the few thoughts I did have on yeah, this yeah, one yeah, are that to me, this really was a song about reckoning. You know, like reckoning with what you've done in your life and you know you make it explicit but like asking for absolution and doing penance um so for me that was the big theme um i also sort of wondered when you're talking about the father are you also are you are you purely just telling a story or are you also talking about god the father asking for forgiveness on on a more maybe you'd say cosmic level <laughs> You mean throughout the song, or it just yeah, in the last yeah. in the last line? Yeah. Well, it just occurred to me when I got to the end of it. I thought, well, maybe that okay. was a little bit more of what was meant. Okay. So, um, the the origin of this song was uh, it, it kind of comes from the theme of the, the double album that I put out in 2013 that I mentioned before. It was it was called the Spark, 
And if you got it on, you know, CD, it was two discs. If you get it on iTunes or Spotify, or wherever else, it's just a straight like 22 songs. So, um, but the, but the middle one, the 11th track, which would be the, the very last kind of track at, at the end of disc one, um, it is kind of the fulcrum on which the whole thing ebbs and flows. So disc one was supposed to be a, you know, a, it, there's a lot of social justice, cultural commentary, um, with a bunch of different styles of songs, but they all lead up. It's, it's almost like it's fun when you listen to it, but substantially like what's happening lyrically, it's, it's this kind of slow descent into hell almost thematically that it sounds way more morbid describing it that way <laughs> than it is like, uh, trust me. So anyway, uh, and coming out of that, you know, before the last track plays, which I consider a hymn. Um, it's this kind of little, not quite a spoken word piece, but it's it's just kind of this, it's something that I wrote and I had my friend uh, read it basically. And the mantra of that short little track is, uh, don't let the glimmer of gold shine brighter than the spark in your soul. And that mm. just kind of be, became... It, when I wrote this little piece, it kind of, for me, tied the whole thing together. And then I mm -hmm. had this collection of, mm -hmm. big collection of songs that I thought would work together. So anyway, fast forward three years to uh, February of 2016 again. It's like the day after I wrote the Get Together song. And I start thinking of how cool it would be to kind of write... Um, a song that's a literal version of that, you know, don't let the glimmer of gold shine brighter than the spark. Mm, so mm -hmm. to be about a kid who goes to strike it rich in, in the gold rush, you know, he, he, he chases after mm -hmm. the glimmer of gold and in the process he loses his soul. So, you know, I don't think that like, like I've written songs about serious things and they're always, I try to make them profound and, and to be constructive, even though they don't necessarily, the song itself doesn't necessarily always resolve um, in, in, a, in a, a way that is apparently, obviously hopeful necessarily. If, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but with this song, I, I took it as like almost like a creative writing exercise to write a literal version of this theme from my last album, um, but to also write like a, 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 um, a, a tragedy, you know, that's mm -hmm. kind of, that's mm -hmm. kind of steeped in, in history. Mm -hmm. And so I started researching the gold rush and, um, uh, but also like reading a little bit about the Oregon trail, it took off from independence, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And so that's how the, that first line came, you know, when I left independence, which by the time you get to the end of the song, that phrase, when I left independence, you know, when I abandoned freedom, you know, mm -hmm. it kind of takes on that meaning. I, I became a, the line is a, a slave to my ambition, mm -hmm. um, the, the devil's favorite game. Um, so, I, you know, I, I started reading about just the, uh, horrible things that happened out in California during the gold rush. And, you know, all the Asians that had already been there, um, were, they, they 
totally turned on them. Um, the Native Americans that were out there, like they looked at the white men that went out there for the gold rush, looked at every other ethnic group and saw them as competitors for this. And it was ours. And, uh, you know, backed by the federal government, the, the state of California paid out large sums of money uh, to people who, who would kill Native Americans. You know, like if you brought in an ear or a scalp or something as proof, you would, you would get mm. a certain number of money, a certain amount of money kind of based on that. And w- when I have an idea that's like to write a song about history, I, if, if I'm not already familiar with it, I, I read about it uh, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. uh, to kind of help you know, I want it to be informed, but also to have kind of creative prompts. Yeah, sure. So um, I found this uh, State of the State address delivered by Peter Burnett, who was the first governor of California. So the date of this address is uh, January 6th, 1851. Hmm. And there's this quote in it where he says, that a war of extermination will continue to be waged between the races until the Indian race becomes extinct, must be, wow. must be expected. Wow. <laughs> and wow. yeah. And, and not long after that, he, he kind of continues um, that there are excellent and intelligent persons of color is doubtless true, but our legislation must regard them as a class, not as individuals. While our laws professedly admit all of this class to reside in the state, they are so framed, they being the laws, are so framed as effectually to exclude the better portion, for surely there can exist no intelligent and independent man of color who would not promptly scorn the pitiful boon we offer him of a residence in the state under conditions so humiliating. Mm. Like, basically saying, we're going to make, we're going to let them live here, but their living conditions are going to be so poor that we're not going to be sure why they're still here if they are, Mm. you know? Um, And and as I continued reading about this and Peter Burnett, um, he, prior to this, um, prior to becoming governor, he was a convert to Catholicism. Really? Yeah. And it's, Hmm. he went on um, kind of an expedition up to, I think it was Vancouver several years prior to this and ended up attending uh, a Catholic mass uh, in Vancouver and was so moved by the beauty of the liturgy that it prompted him to look more, he was a lawyer, it prompted him to look more deeply into the claims of the Catholic church. And so when I read that, it's just kind of like, like, man, this is a guy who he sees beauty and it leads him on this deep quest for the truth, and he he finds it in in, uh, in in such a place that it convicts him to abandon his religion, you know, like his his or, or at least his um, uh, denomination. So he, he's mm-hmm. Protestant. Um, it, it leads him to adopt a new religion, which is a life changing. Thing. That's like, that's a huge commitment. Right. And so, more then probably than now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it just goes back to like that crack in the Liberty Bell, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he has this ideal of beauty and truth. And when it's right there in front of him, you know, and, and 
but it was his culture at the same time. You know, like he's seeing the world through the lens of his culture uh, that did not value these people, that did not regard them as, um, you know, being being worth not killing. You know, they didn't regard them as being worth mm-hmm. treating treating fairly. And so, anyway, I did this is yeah, way it's such, longer. Such than- a tragedy to think that he could be so attracted by the beauty of the liturgy and not see the beauty of these people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, in any case, I read all of this. And so then I have, there's this kid who's good. Um, and he sees his dad struggling, uh, on the farm and he does, just doesn't want that for himself. You know, he doesn't want to just work the land by the sweat of his brow. He's heard the romantic stories, of nobody's going out to California and finding gold and striking it rich. He wants that. You know, he, he wants, I was bound for glory and my own claim to stake. But when I got to California, I'd gotten here too late, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, he, he has, he has no money, he has no food. And this is what he ends up resorting to is this is the way he can find to make money is by um, raiding, raiding the villages by, by getting parts of these people that he can, you know, turn in for money. Mm. So that's why, like, the, the violence sanctioned by the state was calculated. Mm-hmm. It was cold. Here in California, I got 30 pieces for my soul. So yeah. it's um, morbid. Like, it, it became way more of a yeah. tragedy <laughs> <laughs> um, than, uh, than I anticipated it being. Um, but it also just, as I kept going with it and kind of structuring the narrative, it just became, um, a lot more layered. Um, like it was just, it became easy for me to kind of add layers to, uh, the name of the town that it all be. Um, yeah. So I, I always, when he says father at the end, um, when I wrote that, uh, to me, that's that's a priest. This whole thing is his confession. Ah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Because my, like I said, my initial listening of it, I was thinking he was essentially like thinking of his own father, like asking his own father for forgiveness. And then, um, and then after understanding it better, I was wondering if it was a plea to God, but that's interesting yeah. too, as a priest. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that may have come in because of reading that, you know, Peter Burnett had, had converted, um, or, or because I'm Catholic, I don't know, but, but I, right. I kind of right. thought like knowing that Independence, Missouri was the starting point of the Oregon Trail, like that's kind of how I came up with the last couplet is, please grant me absolution, Father, for all these things I've done. And I'll work out my penance on the trail to Oregon. Like he just, he just needs to, he needs to reset. Like he needs, he Mm -hmm. needs to slow down. Like, and that's the, how that song ends is, you know, uh, forgiveness is a heavy thing, but you'll need it when you're gone. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, they're all, again, I, I wrote them all, I think over the course of about six years, but they're all so interconnected Mm -hmm. thematically. Right. Well, now that song is is even more beautiful and even more sad. <laughs> oh, it is. It's terribly, so terribly. Sad. <laughs> but but it also ends like with uh, um, with uh, uh, not a resolution, but with resolve. Mm-hmm. You know, like he is. He's so broken, 
and so defeated and he has like he has nothing he doesn't he has no more pride he has nothing all he can do is like try to figure out how to live again and and forgive himself and return to not necessarily the independence where he came from you know like not the town but the but the state uh, right. state of being i should say yeah. Right. And to go back to what you said at the beginning of the conversation, your friend said that the the songs um, made him feel at peace or gave him a sense yeah. of peace. You actually really get the sense of peace from this one, too. I mean, it might be that it's slow and, you know, deliberate, but um, but even just as you're describing it, like the idea of being granted absolution and doing your penance and trying to make up for your wrongs and move on and live a better life. Like, um, you know, sometimes when you've just been so thoroughly like beaten down and so thoroughly had to deal with yourself to the point where like you've kind of worked through all those emotions, like you, sometimes you come to the end and you're just like, like there's nothing left. You just, right. All you have is that like, flat like um you know resolve to go on and 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 that can be a kind of peace too so yeah yeah well that's you know a, a friend of mine who he's kind of he's actually a capuchin um based in uh, hmm. in pittsburgh right now he's my one of my best friends and he, he's my go-to guy when i write a song he's the first one i send it to and so as i was recording these and sending it to him and, you know, seeing how do you like the production? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he he never made the connection. And he probably listened to it a dozen times by this hmm. point when we're talking about it. And he never made the connection that that it was a confession, that that the whole the whole thing ends up being that. Which it what that's not how I started writing it. It's like when I came up with that line, it felt to me like my own, like I had just experienced, you know. M. Night Shyamalan at his best, you know, this plot <laughs> twist, like, whoa, what? Whoa, like, whoa, what? Whoa, really? You know, and so at, at that point, when I realized that's that's awesome, that's what I want to do, I went back through the song and I I changed all of the all of the verb tenses mm, so that mm-hmm. they all kind of fit in line. And um, but you know, so he had heard it a dozen times and and he made some comment like that it was such a cool way like a cool historical setting to place the story of the prodigal son in and i never ah. never once thought of that parable when i was writing it huh and to me what's interesting about that is is if it does fit as the parable he's not ready to go home yet like that was that was something crucial at the end. Like it it, mm-hmm. it it is speaks to the mark of hope for the song, but it also adds to the tragedy of it that like he mm-hmm. can't go home yet. You know, mm-hmm. like even if he's, you know, he, he might believe that this God is forgiving him, you know, through this priest, but he it's it's work for him to do it himself. And how can he go home and like look his the father that he abandoned, you know, like in the eyes um, and tell him what he's done. And, you know, like just, he's not ready to run home and, and be embraced by his earthly father yet, so to speak. So 
he 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 eventually maybe he he'll go home, but he can't yet. So he just keeps going north. You know, he's he's still a pilgrim. I don't know. It's this song is crazy for me to think about because it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Ah, oh, no, it's so neat. It's so rich. There's so much to it. It's I love it. Yeah. All right. So to come to the last song, "Make an Honest Stand," the title of the collection as a whole. Um, let's hear a clip of it. can I know what I think all of the time when I haven't had time to think and sort my scattered mind how can I do what is right all of the time when what is right shifts and this rubs my paradigm In a world where fools and sinks They love to cast their stones While the burden of the proof Remains willfully unknown Where facts are formed from fiction And the truth is bent with ease How can I raise the flag And love my enemy I'm trying hard to be a better man All I can do is make an honest stand All right. Um, when you said what you said at the beginning of the conversation about how you like to put all of the songs in order before you record them, I was like, ah, oh, that makes so much sense because here when you get to make an honest stand, it just kind of like wraps it all up nicely. <laughs> like yeah. you, you could tell that it was meant to be the final song in this collection. Um, I, I don't maybe have quite as much to say about this one, but there were again, some lines that just really stuck out to me. The, the, how can I do what is right all of the time when what is right shifts and disrupts my paradigm? And I was like, oh, that's such a good thought because, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about paradigm shifts over the past few years, you know, you know, you're raised with one way of seeing the world and then you grow older and you understand more of it and it shifts and then you get to a different phase of your life, maybe parenthood, maybe, you know, a move, whatever, and your paradigm shifts again. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's interesting to think of like, how can I do what's right all of the time when what is right shifts and disrupts my paradigm? Like if it, it messes with your paradigm, <laughs> it's yeah. a lot harder to deal with. And, and I don't mean that in the sense of like, um, um, right and wrong being like all relative, but but you do, you know, you do have different ways of looking things based on your experience and where you are in life. So Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
And then you say, and this is another line that just seems to me to be like stolen from the 2020 election, though I suppose it was <laughs> also going on when you were writing the song, but the, where facts are formed from fiction and the truth is bent with ease. How can I raise the flag and love my enemies? So it just goes to what we were also, we, we were saying earlier with the other song. Yeah. I, uh, the significance of that line has, has certainly brought, broadened um, since I wrote it. And I, I think it's because people who are very divided um, amongst um, political, partisan, um, ideological lines, they see the other side so much um, using the language of, of enemy. You know, like, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. they're not just the opposition, you know, like they are, they are right. evil that needs to be defeated. You know, the, the mm-hmm. election is not the Republicans versus the, the Democrats. Uh, if, if you're a Democrat, then this election is about uh, fascism or the survival of our democracy. And if you're a, a diehard Republican, then this election is about socialism or maintaining what little remains of the freedoms that we do have. You know, like these, this is how we frame the conversation. And when we do that, it's the other side. They're not just the opposition, like they become enemies. And how Mm -hmm. can we like, how can we live as fellow Americans and love like actively love the people that we view mm-hmm. in that way. Because I, I feel like I didn't necessarily feel this when I wrote the song, but what I see now um, is this trend of like, you know, mass mutual excommunication. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not talking about um, this kind of false sense of peace or uh, about, you know, just being nice to each other so that there's, and, and ignoring hot topics uh, so that we can eat Thanksgiving dinner in some false sense of peace or, mm-hmm, you know, with mm-hmm. zero tension. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm saying, like, uh, our, the, the command is to, as Bono says, like, love thy neighbor is not a suggestion. It's a command. And we have to do it no matter how high the pressure, um, no, no matter how uh, crippling the tension, um, the, the commandment stands. So it's a, 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 again, it's, it's one of those lines that just wor- it works on so many levels because mm-hmm, we raise mm-hmm. the flag for our country. Okay, good. What, what do we value more? Like which, which is a greater tragedy in our minds? You know, the, the death of the soldiers that our politicians have sent over to fight or the deaths of the innocent, you know, Iraqi civilians, tens, hundreds of thousands of them that get caught in the crossfire, you know, like they're technically our enemies. Like how do we raise the flag and, and love them? Like how do we reconcile so much mm-hmm. violence, whether or not it's justified with, um, with this commandment, with this principle? So mm-hmm. anyway. Mm. Yeah, you've given me a lot more to think about there than I was thinking <laughs> <Sorry>. with it. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> no, no, no. 
Um, and then I just, I wanted to note the line too, in a world where, and I think you, you, you mentioned the word cynics earlier when you mentioned cynicism being brought up in the first and last songs, but the line, um, in a world where fools and cynics try to bar the golden door to keep out the huddled masses, the tired and the poor. I just thought that was really poignant. And of course the, um, is it Emma Lazarus? Is that the name of the, the one who wrote it? Yeah. Uh, it's possible. Something like that. So, you know, that the poem that is at the base of the Statue of Liberty, you right. know, was talked about quite a lot in the past couple of years regarding the um, closure of the southern border and right. all the um, immigration talk coming from the Trump administration and his base. So at any rate, I just thought that was kind of a lovely note and and poignant to include here in this song yeah um and then your main statement if this is what it is is i'm trying hard to be a better man all i can do is make an honest stand Mm -hmm. and it kind of reminded me of um i keep thinking lately i i tend to try to like my mind starts spinning and like how can i fix everything how can I fix right. everything? Right. Like, oh, the world is such a mess. How are we ever going to fix it? And it's only when I come, of course, to the realization that like, well, I cannot fix this. And I don't think we, quote, can fix this. Um, this is so much bigger and more fundamental than any one person or even group of people can deal with. Um we're not called to figure it all out. Like we're called to do what's right in front of us and to live our lives well and to do, to use our talent and our time and our efforts to, to make whatever difference we can. And when I come back to that, that's when I feel resolve and I feel peace, you know, the worrying about the whole can just sort of distract you from, what your real task is from, yeah, from the parts that are, that you were born into, honestly, or that were right. Yeah. And when you bring it down to something so fundamental is all I can do is make an honest stand. It's like, well, this is my part. I can do my part, you know? Yeah. And if if somebody says, what does that mean? That's, you're the only one that can answer that question. Right. (laughs) It's going to mean something different for each person. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, yeah. And it kind of flips at the end, um, you know, it, it kind of mentions um, world where fools and cynics put men below the bottom line. You know, just like industry leaving towns and they have nothing left and they don't leave because they don't want to leave because it's who they are. You know, the, the town mm-hmm. is who they are. It's where they're from. And, and they, the town falls to addiction. The spirit slowly dies. Families fall to pieces. Their homes disrepair. How can I raise the flag? when even I don't seem to care enough mm, to make mm-hmm. an honest stand. Like, uh, right, it's, right. it's a legitimate question. Like, and I think it kind of speaks to everything that we were saying too, about like, um, the, the sideways sort of justice, you know, like we'll, we'll recognize an injustice. How much do we really care? Like, what are we willing to do about it? What, what are we able to, to do about it like am i gonna even if there's nothing that i can do about that am i gonna find some way to structure my thoughts on that injustice 
in such a way that it changes the way that I live in my day to day life, you know, like that I really mm-hmm. let, um, that I really let this, this abstract empathy start to affect me, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a positive, um, constructive way. And, yeah. and, and maybe lead you to, to do a justice somewhere else, you know, to, right. to yeah. contribute to justice in another way. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's, so it's kind of like, um, what did I say? Uh, the Instagram post that I put up about it, I think I worded it pretty pretty well there. So I'll just pull that up for a minute. <laughs> this is when I posted about the just the the, the image, uh, the cover of the EP, mm-hmm. uh, which is my daughter. I just took the that right. photo of her in the basement looking up to the light. Um, yeah, it's it's that question, like, and this is kind of the summation with the album or with the EP because every song deals with something that's wrong with the world. So if we pose that as a question, you know, what's wrong with the world? Well, like the only way I can honestly answer that is like, I'm just inclined to echo Chesterton who I, I, I don't know what, I think it was a paper somewhere in England, London, whatever that uh, had an essay contest. I, I could be getting the exact precise context of this off, but it was something like this. Like there was a contest to write a song about, or I'm sorry, to write an essay about what's wrong with the world. And Chesterton's submission was, dear sirs or madam, I am. And that was it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that was his only answer. So it's, it's this, uh, it's coming to the end of all of this, acknowledging what's wrong with the world and saying, all these things are, but also like I am, because mm-hmm. it seems so often like I, I don't even really seem to care enough to 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 do anything or to say the mm-hmm. right thing or to speak up and in what way and it's mm-hmm. it's tough and and the answer honestly is just go back and read the song titles because they're all every one of them is a command you know like mm-hmm. think about somebody else get together slow down um don't let the flag touch the ground, but like in the right way, you know, mm-hmm, make mm-hmm. an honest stand. And it's all for the purpose of independence of, of like, of true freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. This has been such an interesting conversation. I'm going to go put the songs back on and listen to them all again (laughs) (laughs) with this conversation in mind and enjoy them in a new way. (laughs) Cool. Uh, This conversation for the record is about four times as long as the EP itself. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe even longer than that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It was actually, it was a great deal longer than I expected. I'm so so. sorry. Uh, No, 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 no. It was so good though. It was so good. I have, really enjoyed it so much. This was such a treat. I mean, I've um, been so consumed with like the, um, you know, the back and forth and the like, what's the latest news? What's the latest tally? What's the latest number? What's the latest poll? You know, I've been so consumed with that level of politics. And it's a real treat to sort of like, like step back and step up and just like take a, you know, 30,000 foot view of the situation and think about it in a in a broader sense it's refreshing (laughs) i'm glad and i again really it's so cool for me to hear other people like consider these songs um 
as deeply as I kind of feel them and, and, and think about them myself as I'm, you know, doing my best to yeah. put something out there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. It's got to be weird and rewarding all at once. <laughs> it is, but it's also like it, it gives me an insight into you, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's you hearing the same line that I heard in my head. And mm-hmm. what does it mm-hmm. make you think of? Like, that's mm-hmm. so interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. Well, Kevin, I think you did something really good here. And I'm so grateful to you for sharing it with the world. So, Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And I feel the same way about your podcast. Because what, what we need is something more. We need politics, but we need something much more. So. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I really hope everybody will go listen to these songs and to your other music as well. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that long conversation with Kevin Hyder. To learn more about Kevin and his music, follow him on Instagram and Facebook at Kevin Hyder Music and check out his website at kevinheider.com. You can find links to Kevin's website and social media accounts in the show notes. Next week is Thanksgiving, and I'm going to take a break to make my first ever attempt at cooking a full Thanksgiving dinner for my family. Wish me luck. I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving, and I hope you'll come back the week after next for another episode of More Than Politics. Thank you for listening to this episode of More Than Politics. I hope you'll subscribe to it and that if you like it, you'll leave a rating or review so others can find it. I'd appreciate any shares too. Your help is the best way to let others know about the podcast. My name is Julie Varner Walsh. I'm your host. You can learn more about me by checking out my blog at thesewallsblog.com and you can follow me on Instagram at Julie V. Walsh and Facebook at More Than Politics Podcast. This podcast's theme music is by purple-planet.com.